0: All right, I I should probably do, there we go, that'll sink it. I know that trick, I know that one, I've seen it. All right, hello, welcome to the first episode of Hoops Hour, hosted by Hoops Hour? Yeah, um, I don't know, title's a bit of a work in progress, I'm a work in progress. I I think you'll come to notice pretty quickly, everything about what you're about to watch is a work in progress, so bear with me, that's all I'm going to say. Um, hello. Uh, first and foremost, I should probably apologize for the break in content again. Not entirely intentional. I got sick and I was writing stuff, but I wasn't recording. And I kind of used some of that time to reevaluate the content I was making and what I wanted to be making like long term. And I, I noticed in my break that it's kind of hard to produce a lot, like consistently produce a lot of of those 8 to 15 minute uh, highly edited videos with kind of any semblance of quality control uh, all on my own and i ended up getting pretty burnt out from constantly writing and recording and editing and being in this like perpetual state of chasing yesterday's news and if that's gonna be what it is anyways i would rather be able to talk more and expand on thoughts go on tangents uh, just in general, kind of make my commentary more personal and authentic as I kind of build confidence with this and need less and less of a handicap in terms of notes and stuff like that. Um, that's sort of the stuff I want to be making, so I I just decided that we're going to do it. Um, I, I was making a Knicks video. That was going to be kind of the first thing I came back with as a Knicks fan. If you're unaware... That's my team. Sorry if I just hit the mic there. Uh, I am a I am a, a New York native, so the Knicks are my are my team. They're the ones that I will be irrationally homer for. Um, and I was making a, a pretty long video. It was like it was like 17 or 18 minutes, just going over everything, having a kind of you know Knicks fandom cry session as you need. Um, but I also felt pretty good about the Knicks. And I had to rewrite it like two or three times because, well, if you're a Knicks fan, you understand that they're a very up and down team. And I got to the point where I had finally written something and I was, I had recorded it and I was editing it. And then the Mitchell Robinson news came out like two days ago um, that he's going to be out for eight to 10 weeks or will be reevaluated in eight to 10 weeks. And if you're a Knicks fan, you can understand that he would have been quite a big part of the video as he was and is also a big part of the base in which I made sort of my projection for the Knicks. So overall, I just needed to kind of, it blew up my script essentially, it blew up my video and I had already delayed making content for like a week at that point. So I just said, fuck it. And I'm just going to go to this, which is what I was going to do after that video anyway. And I'm going to talk about the Knicks towards the end of this video, have my powwow session so I can finally get it out of the way, it'll finally not be hanging over me, and then we can move on to more uh, entertaining stuff. Um, but yeah, just said screw it, and now we're here. Um, I, I understand that not everybody's going to be a fan of the longer form content, totally totally understand that. Um still thinking about making some shorter stuff, but just not really sure what that's going to look like, because... I don't really wanna do the run of the mill kind of NBA YouTube commentary stuff. Not that there's anything wrong with it, it just never really felt like me, never really felt like uh, the the kind of style and format I wanted to, to do. So I like the idea of having something a bit more free and as I said earlier, a bit more personal like this. Um, so how is this gonna work? Well, it's not overly complex, not at the moment at least. It's going to be basically what I was doing already, just in this different format, covering news in the basketball world. We're going to have topics, segments. Um, I'm, I'm aiming to get at least one of these out a week, ideally two, but I haven't figured out all the segments. And, you know, w- once I get to that point, I'll be able to more consistently fill things in and, and have two a week. Um, but yeah, at, at least one. And... Uh, there's there's gonna be obviously you can see there's a visual aspect to this, but if if you don't want to watch that um i'm gonna put the audio up on Soundcloud and maybe other places if I can figure it out um so that if you just want to kind of experience this as like a podcast and go about doing whatever while you listen that's super cool. I appreciate it either way um or you can stare at my face while i frantically dot around everywhere and try to act like I know what I'm saying um work in progress guys that's really that's really if there's a key takeaway from this this episode it's it's work in progress um but yeah uh bear with me The, the the segments the topics they're gonna have some pretty janky transitions for now but it's only gonna get better as time goes on I I realized I was I was a little bit nervous about filming um, and having to speak like continuously on camera, but I realized I'm only gonna get better at it if I kind of just throw myself in and say, you know what, don't worry about how you sounded, like upload it as it goes on. That'll kind of take care of itself. And if you're trying to make it too fake and and secretly wrote everything you're gonna say or something, you're just gonna always have to lean on that, and you'll never really grow out of it. So going to say it again bear with me um i actually tried recording this yesterday i'm not going to lie i got i recorded like 45 minutes too but i tried talking about way too many things i had like eight seven or eight topics so dumb for me to try to talk about all of them i was i was literally getting red in the face because i had just worked out then i showered then i like ran around trying to like set up stuff in my room put up the camera whatever And then I recorded and just started blobbing for like 45 minutes. I was absolutely rambling. It was so bad. Um, I I was just trying to do way too much. And I actually had to stop in the middle of it, which might happen this time. But I'm just, just don't worry about it. You might hear like a little transition sound or whatever. That's me having to cut because I am yet to have the equipment to film continuously. So, you know. We'll get there. Work in progress, Um, but I yeah I had to stop offload footage because there wasn't enough space on my SD card, and because I was filming in four K. Why? Why? Like, what possessed me to make that decision? I have absolutely zero idea. But I just thought it was. I was just kind of overcompensating, to be honest. Um, But that meant it took like an hour to get the footage off of my um, off of my camera onto my computer. And in that time, I was just like, this shit's a wash. Let me, like, redo, fresh start tomorrow. So today's tomorrow, and here we are. Uh, And I've streamlined the episode, uh, cut a few things out. We can talk about them later, later, you know, save them. Don't want to kind of proverbially blow my load, pause, uh, because I have too many things to talk about and don't end up talking about everything I want to. Um, And there's no rush here. That's the great thing. Um, So yeah, I'm going to get into the topics for our first episode. Uh, What's new in the NBA? Kind of things like that. Um, There's one big thing I want to talk about because, listen, it ended on Saturday. It's Wednesday as I'm recording this. But if I don't talk about it now, it'll only be weirder as more time goes on. So let's talk about the in-season tournament. It ended on Saturday, as I said, championship game in Vegas, Lakers versus Pacers, and the Lakers won in a pretty dominant fashion. It was a pretty fun back and forth game. Lakers build a lead, Pacers kind of chip away and claw back, Uh, but around halfway through the fourth quarter, I'd say, the Lakers just sort of opened the doors on the game and really never looked back. Uh, Anthony Davis, dominant, dominant performance. 41 points, 20 rebounds, 5 assists, 4 blocks. Literally almost had a 4x5. Uh, it was just a masterpiece on both ends of the floor. Really what you... The the, the best of AD is, is that, really, right there. He focused on his interior work, which we'll get into later because this is good, you know, to get a little meta here. We'll go through the in-season tournament. Then I want to talk about the two teams that were in the finals, just because it's a you know great chance to talk about them and catch up, that being the Lakers and the Pacers, as I said. Then I'm going to do my Knicks rant. Then I've got a couple of other random things to talk about on the agenda, and then we'll get out of here, all right? Real, real quick-like, all right? Um, but yeah, uh, LeBron won the in-season tournament MVP, which was very well-deserved. He played incredible throughout. Anthony Davis had this you know, all time kind of performance in the in the championship game, but they would not be there without LeBron and he had like two thirty point like near thirty point triple doubles back to back games in the uh semifinals and quarterfinals respectively. Um and he put a good good game as the second option in the finals. He had like twenty and ten or something like that. Uh Austin Reeves was great off of the bench. He had twenty eight points, twenty-five in the first half. He was really the only one who got thing uh got things going off of the bench, but you know, when you have AD doing a forty-one and twenty game, that's that's good. You know, that's enough. Um, and and they they took home the trophy. It's you shouldn't feel bad for anybody, all right. They played a game of basketball, and the losers are walking away with two hundred and fifty thousand dollars each, all right. But it is also really funny that the significantly older team with players on large large contracts are the ones that won the prize. Very funny that the in-season tournament MVP goes to the league's one and only billionaire. It's hilarious. Watching LeBron rob those young boys of five hundred thousand dollars was fucking hilarious. Sorry, gotta say it though. Um the Lakers are apparently gonna hang a banner. I don't know if this is true. We'll believe it when we see it. You know, can't can't trust everything you see on Twitter, but apparently they're gonna hang a banner, which I think it's really, really funny, even if you're rolling your eyes, that is like objectively funny to hang an in season tournament championship banner, and like it or not, it will probably help legitimize it in the future. you know, you might think it's dumb, but wait until your favorite team wins, and they hang it up and then you're like mm, you know some some nice upholsteries in the stadium now, fellas you know kind of kind of thing, um, and it's just gonna be like a one in perpetuity banner where they just add dates to it if, if they win further. I think that was the, the idea of it. Um, I don't have really a problem with it. I actually like the idea that it would just be one banner, too. It kind of separates it and won't bloat the Raptors with like a million in-season tournament uh, banners. Um, but you got to admit, there, there is a little bit of value to it, all right? It's not a championship, but it's also not an all-star game. 30 teams competed and they tried. You can't say they didn't. All right. If if your team was out, maybe you're trying to discount this. And that's the, that's the big thing about the in-season tournament. If your team's in it, yeah, in-season tournament, I'm rocking with it. But it's really easy to say uh, in-season tournament, dumb, whatever, when your team didn't make it out of group play or whatever. Um, couldn't be me. Couldn't be me as a Knicks fan. I like to get in on a wild card and they get blown out by the uh, Bucks or Celtics, whoever it was. I just completely decompartmentalized that game. So, not even in my brain anymore. Uh, not the point. Uh, anyway, that kind of brings me to the overall tournament, which I think was a success across the board. Uh, for fans, as a fan, the games were more intense. Crowds were into it. Um, and a lot of them, I mean, I would say all of them were more intense but a lot of them genuinely had a playoff atmosphere feel. That was super cool. I mean, it's it's a game in December, uh, November. And sooner than later, we'll forget how boring games in December and November can be because this will just be a staple in the league. And I think that's really cool. Um, and then on, from a marketing perspective, like if, if you're really just considering the business end, the championship game peaked at 4.6 million viewers, which is similar to the NBA's Christmas games, which, you know, not bad for the first try, I would say. And considering, like, the only bit of marketing for this was the fucking sphere in Vegas that just should not be a thing, and then one ad that they filmed over the summer and just played throughout the entire month of November, the, the like, Ocean's Eleven heist thing. Pretty funny ad, but when it's the same thing, like, people will eventually tune it out. And so... Four and a half million viewers for the final. Not bad. Um, you know, for for the for the haters of the in season tournament, I really I just really think it's it's kind of an asinine thing to complain. I mean it's really it's a it's a win win and at worst, just like a net neutral. You know, at, at worst it just doesn't matter. You can ignore it. There's a slightly more eyesore of a court, but it's just is the exact same thing and you can go about your day. But if you care about it, as I said, more energy, uh, playoff atmosphere, there's like incentives to it, yada, yada, yada. It's a fun thing. I really think the NBA cooked with this one. I I like being critical of the NBA and whatnot and whatnot, but this is exactly like the play-in tournament. I talked about this in a video I made over the summer talking about just like big changes coming to the league. And my kind of stance on the tournament was, uh, I'm not sure how I feel, but I remember that. I wasn't sure how I felt about the play-ins. In fact, I was pretty sure I didn't like them. And then I saw it in practice over the you know last couple of seasons, and now I'm a really big fan of the play-ins. And there was no adjustment period for this one. However, the in-season tournament is very much like the Hoops Hour broadcast. Is only going to get better with time, baby. I mean, come on. Uh in terms of genuine critiques, if I really had any, courts the courts should probably be, be, be toned down a bit. Um some of them were just egregious neon like expo markers on a on a court and wasn't a super big fan of that. I liked some of the more like pastel um muted ones. I, I also I I liked there being a consistency in the in the middle at half court. Um so just, you know, if we could maybe dial back the hue, dial back the saturation 10%, I was rocking with it. And then my, my genuine only gripe with the in-season tournament was that the Vegas crowds sucked, which kind of blossoms into a bigger conversation on what's happened to NBA audiences in, I mean, I don't really know, I haven't been watching the NBA for decades, but you can see over the decades... Crowd enthusiasm and just like audience engagement has f- fucking walked off of a boardwalk, all right. Because the reality is, NBA tickets are way too expensive for the average person to go to more than maybe one, maybe two a year. Um, in terms of not getting like a you know fifty dollar nose seat at a at a Wizards game in January or something like that. Um, and that's just driven out a lot of the real, genuine fans, especially when we're talking about the ones that are closest to the court, visible on camera, and you know are in the background, kind of making that historic moment. If there is a historic moment going on, making it iconic. You know, the the rebound by Bosh out to Allen, hitting a three. Like that's not the same play. If the sea of white in the Miami arena didn't just erupt at that moment. So those are like really, really critical parts of just the experience of an NBA game. And with seats being so expensive, the only ones who end up being close to the court, the only ones who really end up being a part of those moments uh, are, are people who have the money to just kind of go and you know, flex on the gram that I was, you know, courtside at a Lakers game or whatnot. But they're not really hoops fans, you know. And I'm not trying to gatekeep the experience of going to see an NBA game. Like that's so dumb. But go see. I mean, all you—literally, all you have to do is watch how European crowds react to like their third division team, and they—they're acting like their family is like out, there, like on the field playing like their family is tied up in the back and their team needs to win this game or they'll die, that kind of energy, that kind of investment and engagement from fans is just not existent in the NBA, unfortunately, right now at least. So hopefully that can be fixed. And I think it being in Vegas on a neutral stage really drew attention to the fact that, yo, those crowds were not giving anything. They were, woo. Woo. Like, bro, you just watched Anthony Davis put up 40-20-5-5, five five, basically. Can we lose our minds here a bit? Like, I thought we loved basketball. Um, but, yeah, anyway, don't want to sound too much like a boomer, but I think there needs to be some sort of action taken to bring back the love of... Or bring back the... I don't know, there should just be, like, a section for fans. You can win it in, like, a lottery... to to get the C, You can't pay for it. It's not a paywalled thing. And only the most diehards are really going to end up being there. And I would love that kind of energy and culture for NBA audiences is essentially what I'm saying. All right. You probably just heard the first transition or whatever, because I um, made a new audio file for this, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm spilling the beans. I'm telling too much about how this works, but Let's use this opportunity now to talk about the two teams that were in the in-season tournament championship, the Lakers and the Pacers. I'm gonna start off with the Lakers, the Victors, um who have had a pretty similar story to how they looked in the uh, last stretch of last season. Currently, they are sixth in the Western Conference. They have the seventh best defensive rating and the twenty first best or, you know, ninth worst offensive rating. Um, they are, they're a great versatile defense with, you know, size and switchability and at times can be an elite connective offense, but they don't really always get that part right. Um, if if we're going to break this down in terms of defense, Anthony Davis is where you have to start that conversation. He's been having a defensive player of the year caliber season, probably his best defensive season of his career, if not the one he got snubbed of the DPOI award when he played uh, with the Pelicans. Didn't really watch basketball back then. But if you go back and look at that shit. I do not know how. Uh, I think Rudy Gobert won. It might have been like Rudy Gobert's first or second. This is like 2018 I think. Um, but man. Should have won that one. Side note. But outside of that. If not. Regardless. This has been 80s best defensive season. As well as just the fact that he's been available. Throughout the first like 23-24 games that it's been. Um, he's second in the league in rebounding he's averaging nearly three blocks a game uh, he, he's just been really locked down on that and incredible stuff absolutely needed from a, a, champ- or a team that has championship aspirations um, Cam Reddish has really stood out as well as, as being a great defensive role guy um, and being a, a dude who you know really fills his role and hits hits those timely shots that are needed there was a moment a couple of weeks ago if If you're on NBA Twitter, you definitely know what I'm talking about, but it was back-to-back games of LeBron driving, you know, game tied, whatever, going for the win, last 10 seconds of the game, and LeBron driving and kicking out to the corner for a Cam Reddish corner three. And... In game one, he missed it, and everybody's clowning Cam Reddish, and everybody's clowning LeBron. He's not built like that. He passes the ball when time comes, whatever. Cam Reddish was open; it was the right play to make. I mean, I don't, know what, I don't know what to tell you. He just missed it. It, just, it happens. You, you must have never shot a basketball if you don't understand that. But then, literally the next game, almost the identical situation happens, kicks it out to Cam, hits the hits the uh, go away uh, go away three. We'll call it to. Tell the other team to go away. Um, so Cam Reddish has been pretty awesome, point being, uh, in, in terms of his limited role on offense and just as a very committed defensive player. Uh, then there's J- Jared Vanderbilt. He's been, I mean, he's an elite perimeter defender, obviously, but he has been hurt. And, you know, it's, it's noticeable. The Lakers are definitely capable of being like a top 3-4 defense when everyone's locked in and the rotations are right and things like that. But Jared Vanderbilt's been hurt, so we'll kind of, you know, we understand that. But we know what he brings when he's around. Nothing on offense, but an elite defender. Um, And then Rui Hachimura, he's actually been great uh, on, on defense. He's been pretty solid. He brings... It's just, it's hard not to be good on defense when you have the size and length that Rui has. Like I mean, he's just like the NBA player in terms of like a frame at this point. Ideal. Um he just he fits really well into the uh into the Lakers defensive system and he's also been hurt, but he's come back now and I'd like to see him get more minutes. Um I in terms of you know, to step away from offense or from defense for a second, the Lakers could really use a six eight guy shooting forty one percent from three, so hopefully as he comes back, maybe the Lakers offense also takes a bit of a jump with him. Speaking of, we'll we'll get into the offense now. This team cannot hit threes to save their lives. It is, it's, I mean, it's the same, it's the same story as the past handful of seasons has been. The Lakers are 21st in three, per, uh, three point percentage, still struggling, still struggling. And what's really funny is the in season tournament championship game proved that the Lakers can be a dominant interior team that still scores a ton of points without hitting threes. I mean, they took, they took 12. I think, which is, I mean, 12 is the equivalent of taking, like, two in today's league. Um, and speaking of two, they only made two. The Lakers made two threes in their championship game, and they still won by, like, 20 points. Granted, that was against the Pacers, who are so far from being an elite defense, they barely have a passable defense. They don't, actually. I, should, I shouldn't I should have even said that, but, yeah. Uh, they, they clearly can thrive or at least do a lot of work, not making three points uh three point shots an emphasis of their offense, um, which is is how they're operating. They're pretty low on uh on the on the pole in terms of uh three point attempts, but I mean it's just modern NBA. You need to be at least a passable three point shooting team. You're obliterating your team spacing and and really screwing over your go to guys if you have two three players in your lineup on the floor that just are not threats from behind the arc just cannot hit outside shots so that's really definitely a hindrance on the lakers offense but yeah we saw that they are a dominant offensive team in other aspects like getting to the free throw line and just bullying bullying other players in the paint um the next biggest thing I'll talk about for their Lakers offense is uh is LeBron. All right, the kid from Akron. He's been amazing so far this season. In his 21st season. Um it's it's not even really a revival. It's it's a renaissance uh of his efficiency. Definitely not been like the greatest the past few seasons, but with so much absence from AD, LeBron really was just out there willing the Lakers offense into something. But this season, he's averaging 25, seven rebounds, seven and a half rebounds, six and a half assists on 55% from the field, 40% from three, and 72% from free throw shooting. But 40% from three, I mean, that's like 2013 Miami LeBron. Obviously a different player, but man, when LeBron's shots are going down from three-point line, that is like, really really game changer um on top of that he's also just getting to the rim more effectively and looks way more engaged than he has in the past few seasons on defense he's averaging nearly two and a half stocks per game and he's been one of the best players in the league in crunch time um down the stretch of games he is i don't think he's leading the league anymore but he is one of the top Fourth quarter uh, scores, Uh, so he's like leading the league basically in fourth quarter points and also in efficiency. He's, he's, I mean, he really, he really dials in in the last like five minutes of a close game, in a way that you just would not expect a forty-year-old to. Like even LeBron, you're just like, dude. With the amount of miles you have, like you can't care about every crunch time scenario that much, can you? But he's been fantastic. Um, and he often looks like. He's the one with the most energy on the floor out of anybody else. He's a freak of nature, dude. There's really not much else to say. He's 100 years old, averaging 25-7-7 seven and seven, basically on nearly 50-40-90 if he was just a better free throw shooter. So it's like, it's unbelievable. I mean, you look at that and there's like, LeBron just kind of has to be in his own category for things. But the the, the problem is for all the amazingness that LeKing is still bringing, not exactly sure that's ultimately great for the Lakers. You just shouldn't, you're just leaning on a 40-year-old too much. That's, it's, at the end of the day, you're just leaning on a 40-year-old too much. I don't know what else to say. You know, it's it's awesome that he's playing that way. And it also kind of shows that the foot injury in last year's playoffs was definitely like a real thing. And there was a level that, even LeBron couldn't get to because of that injury, meaning there's a level the Lakers can ascend to if he is healthy, and they maybe could have gotten even closer to getting to the finals. Um, but, I mean, it's just, if your game plan going into the finals is, hey, LeBron, you can sustain like really efficient 25-7-7 and for the next 20 games, right? If that's your game plan, like I don't know what to tell you, man. Like you're you're not gonna you're not gonna have a fun time against like an elite contender. Um, and the reason they've still had to rely on forty year old LeBron so much is because Anthony Davis has still not taken the confident leap into being the like no doubts number one option. You know, in general over this season, he has had a lot more aggression towards the basket and putting you know just in general pressure on the rim. But he settles for way too many jump shots. He takes a lot of jump shots, and that's fine and, and fun and all, but he's a really streaky jump shooter. I mean, if you're wondering why, and, and I, I am this person, I was this person, rather, I should say, going, how the hell can Anthony Davis have a Shaq-like dominant performance one game and then literally be non-existent the next game? It's because of his jump shooting. I mean, it's... it's he when it's going in, it's like, oh my God, he's, he's Joel Embiid plus like, you know, another 15% on defense. Like this is just an all time great player. But when it's not going in, it's just sort of like, what the fuck is this 6'10 dude doing? Just taking a bunch of like tough fade away baseline jumpers. Like get under the basket, my dude. Like you're so big. Um, and the fact that jump shots is such a Go-to part of his game really puts a cap on 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 him in terms of being like, yep, over a playoff run, like I'm just gonna spam this one thing, be wholly confident I can do this. My team can always turn to me to do this one thing or whatever, and I'll be good. That's not how it is for AD. He can have a game where he gets 50 points and they're all at the rim, shooting 100%, and everybody will go, yeah, do that more. And then the next game, you know, it's it's like three for 12 shooting and. He, like, barely got to the rim. It's it's really kind of confusing. Um, and, you know, as I said, in-season tournament championship game showed that he is a dominant, otherworldly post player. If he just spammed that, if he just capitalized on that, played a bit more like Giannis, who leads the league in uh, points in the paint, I think the Lakers have a much more, like, confident case for being a contender um but right now i think they just they're relying way too much on outside shots and from their really good players they're not super good at that and from their role guys they haven't been hitting their shots um a, a ton so far this season so uh yeah that's how i feel on that um other than that uh D'Lo, D'Angelo Russell, he's been pretty solid for the Lakers. Uh you know, he definitely has his games where games where he scores like 8 points on horrendous efficiency and you're like, "Oh my god, like how did how did he dupe another team into signing him and giving him like however much money they gave him?" Um but take a step back from that and he is averaging 16 points, 6 assists on pretty good shooting splits like 40% from 3 and on less than 2 turnovers um so you can't lie those are solid minutes um and i think lastly about the lakers is uh darvin ham ham sandwich coach ham oh, bro what is that guy doing sometimes i mean i'm very i'm i don't want to say very but i'm i'm not at the point in my ball ball knowledge where i can really confidently critique coaches decisions they're just kind of that that captain seat is not something i really have a perspective on at the moment or just enough knowledge to even like infer about and i'm certainly not going to pretend that it's an easy job but dude he just is consistently putting out really strange and just quite frankly bad lineups sometimes he'll have three four guards that and, and uh, as a lineup just no size and just try to spam shots, and clearly they're not a very good three point shooting team. So it's like, what's going on, dude? Just weird, just weird combinations kind of all across the board. Um, and it doesn't seem like he has the greatest mind for late game situations. Um, he'll kind of just take a back seat during huddles sometimes. Uh, there was a video that that went around on Twitter, um, like uh, last week or something like that, and it was LeBron with the uh court whiteboard that they'll draw plays on and everybody's looking at him and he's screaming out to everybody and he's you know oh we're doing this whatever and Ham's just like y'all making sure you catch this you know and I get it you know LeBron is a walking talking basketball encyclopedia there's never been a a basketball player with a higher uh, game IQ than him but at a point like you're still the coach dude and and there's just a a level of passiveness to him that I don't know I just Not sure how I really feel about him in the grand scheme of things. Like, he has had a very successful tenure as the Lakers coach, but there's just some times where he's just kind of standing on the sidelines, like, just happy to be there. Just happy to be there. His cousin got him a ticket, he's just happy to be there. LeBron's the coach, so I don't know. I ultimately don't think it's like a really, you know, big, important thing. Some teams are less dependent on their coach than others, that's just kind of how things go. And with a team like the Lakers, who have so much experience and veteran players. They're clearly not someone who, you know, every time the the lights get bright and their palms get sweaty, mom spaghetti, they're going, Coach, Coach, what do I need to do? Clearly, it's not that kind of, uh, you know, relationship. But still, thought it was kind of funny. Thought I would mention it. And, uh, yeah, darvin ham sandwich. And uh, moving on to the runners-up of the in-season tournament, we have the Indiana Pacers, who have been... One of the biggest surprises so far this season. One of the most fun teams to watch. They've been the number one offense, they're number one in pace, and they're number one in overall free goal percentage. This team is offense, offense, offense. It's, it's, I mean, people complain that this is like the offense era. It totally is, but that teams don't play defense and they're just worrying about, you know, pushing the ball, getting up shots, whatnot, and and the Pacers are very much, you know, go, 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 but cannot get stops for shit. So, I uh, you know, they're really the embodiment of that kind of negative principle that some people have towards, um, you know, how basketball is played in the league right now. But I think the Pacers are a really entertaining team to watch. Um, as I said, cannot get stops. They are absolute traffic cones on defense. 28th in defensive rating, which... When you scale... Okay, well, hang on. Let's look at this. We have the power of the internet. This is... We're just completely... For a second. The only two teams below the Indiana Pacers are the Wizards and the Hornets, which are just, like, not basketball teams. They're, like, borderline state championship, like, boys teams that just snuck in to the NBA. So, when you erase the fact that those two rosters, like, barely have, like, four NBA players combined... The Pacers have been probably the worst defense out of any team that is, like, you know, real. Um, but they do have, like, individually some personnel that you would imagine can do some things. You know, they have Bruce Brown Jr., who they signed uh, over the over the offseason after he won a chip with the Nuggets. They have Benedict Matherin, who and just has great physical tools to be... Like a Jalen Brown kind of player, uh, Aaron Nesmith, um, again, great kind of switchable, versatile wing, but nothing super exceptional. And then when you add on to it, the fact that Miles Turner is definitely more of an offensive-oriented center, it's not really like an anchor. They're just not doing too hot in this department. That's kind of all you got. All, all I can say, but does it matter? Because they're the fifth seed, and they have this little guy named Tyrese Halliburton. Don't know if you know him, but. <clears throat> he's kind of next level. Um man, the way Tyrese Halliburton has been playing. I mean, his breakout was certainly foreseen like you knew this dude was up and coming, but definitely not to the degree he's taken a leap within just one season. I mean, he's he was like, all right, we got a, you know, we've got a 20 and 10 guy in the league nice, you know, consistent young 20 and 10 guy, cool. And then he just blossomed over this offseason into a Steve Nash-level passing genius, but with more size and as more of a scorer slash shot maker, Like he he makes unreal shots. If you didn't watch the Pacers-Celtics in-season tournament game, I highly recommend watching it. It was so much fun, um, and he was just making unreal shots. So when you have that high-level scoring, the shot-making abilities, along with that playmaking... We're looking at what the future of point guards are. You know, you're gonna need the size. You're gonna need to to have the playmaking that you've always needed to have as as a point guard. But everyone's gonna be expected to make more shots, and especially if you're gonna have the ball in your hands so much, you've gotta be an elite shot maker. You know, a, a, a Trey Young, a Tyrese Halliburton, a, a Steph Curry, a Luca. Um, so yeah, he's averaging 26 points, four rebounds, 12 assists on 52% from the field, 44% from three, and 89% from the charity strike. I mean, if you didn't take that in just now, we're talking about a 26-12 and season on 50-40-90 shooting splits with like barely two and a half turnovers a game. It is not an exaggeration to call what Tyrese Halliburton has been doing this season generational. Like, I'm so serious about that. Or then just uh, take a take a quick break to uh, sip some water. All right. Anyway, uh, the last thing I'll say about the Pacers before I get into my um, into my feelings talking about the Knicks is uh, watching Obi Toppin thrive with them has been very bittersweet. Um, I'm still not over New York trading him. I completely understand why they were like he was just not being utilized by them, Um, to to the fault of the Knicks. Tibbs should have been utilizing Obi Toppin more. He is a good basketball player, but he wasn't, and so the writing had been on a wall for like over a full season that um, you know, out of like all the young guys on the Knicks roster, it was probably gonna be him. Uh, He was kind of just like the odd man out and he was and he's been on the Pacers but he's doing great he's been a really fun uh four for them you know he he brings that you know play finishing backdoor cuts passes under the rim lob threat that he is I mean he's one of the the highest jumpers in the league um and spot up threes he's taken a pretty big leap in terms of his three-point shooting he's averaging 36 percent now but it was much higher to start out this season I think for like at least the first like 15 games, he was over 40%. So mwah, fly high, Obi Top, and like I I really he seems like a cool dude. I, I wish nothing but the best for him. It's just sort of like when you watch a team when you watch a player who was on your team and a fan favorite leave and just only do better, you're like, oh my god, was I the problem? Like, was I the problem? You're like, you have a bunch of X's and you're the common denominator for all their shitty experiences. And you're like, oh my god, am I the problem? Yeah, the Knicks are probably the problem. Speaking of, let's get into it. Uh, uh, I just... Okay. There's two, two big things with the Knicks in, in terms of what I've seen this season and gone, wow. If I hadn't watched the Knicks game all this season, but I watched all 82 games last season... What are the two things that I uh, will have noticed? It's their defense and their improved three point shooting. Currently, they are fifth in the league in three point shooting. It does not sound real to be able to say that and Knicks in the same sentence, but here we are. So they're fifth in the league in three point shooting and 10th in defensive rating. They were the number two, number three defense for a very long stretch of the season so far. So I wouldn't be surprised if that bounced like maybe back a little bit, but also there's the Robinson thing. We'll we'll get into that in a second, but yeah. When we compare that to the fact that they were the 19th best three-point shooting team and the 19th best defense last season, there's been some very noticeable gains in that department. Uh, largely, the three-point shooting success has come from DiVincenzo, Dante DiVincenzo, from the Warriors that we added. He's averaging 42.7%. Quentin Grimes, who had a Really poor stretch of games, and it made the Knicks fandom just absolutely turn on him in such a fake fan kind of way. It was kind of rough to watch. I mean, dude, they like people hated Grimes for a few games, but he's been getting his stuff back. Uh, he is coming off of the bench now, which I really don't care who comes off the bench and who starts, it's really about your role on the court and like you know, how many minutes are you playing by the end of the game. So I don't care about who starts, but when we have a history of punishing players on the Knicks, when they have a very small sample size of poorly performing, I was really nervous that Grimes was just going to completely fall off a cliff after he lost his starting spot. But he had, I think his first game off the bench, he was incredible and he's shooting just a hair under 38% on the season. Uh, Josh Hart who is hilarious and drinks breast milk is average uh, shooting 40% from the field uh, sorry from three and RJ Barrett 38% he was shooting like 45% to start the season then it like trickled down to like 41 and I was like are we gonna get a 40 point like 40% three-point shooting like RJ season we already got one of those in 2021 but like Who cares about 2021 Knicks, right? So this has like essentially been RJ's best three-point shooting season. Like I'm going to call it that at least. And I think RJ specifically being able to take more three-point shots and just knock down at least like those open ones is huge. It really is huge in unlocking the Knicks defense or offense. Um, And then there's Jalen Brunson who is averaging 44.6% from three on almost seven attempts. Steph Brunson? Steph Brunson, I'm sorry, that's gross. I, I won't say that again, but that's insane, especially from like a more like slower, physical like guard that you imagine just you know gets just kind of does his work right in the faces of the defense. Doesn't have great overall shooting percentages um, in 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 general because again, he really likes just get into it, kind of kind of Kobe style. But I didn't just compared Jalen Brunson to Kobe Bryant I swear I just like believe me just just focus on the point I'm making and not the words I'm saying anyways um Jalen Brunson has been like lights out from three it's really funny I rarely see him miss and it doesn't feel like he takes seven of them a game but wow 45 percent on almost seven attempts (sighs) show that to someone from the 1980s that's all I'll say um so as I said, Dante Vincenzo's his added uh, shooting and spacing on the roster really opening up uh, the Knicks' ability to work with more space. And when they're such an ISO-heavy team in general, like that definitely pairs well. If you have a bunch of players who need to have the ball and can only really score in isolation, and then on top of that, all their supporting cast can't fucking shoot... And so the defense can just sag off of them and get ready to like quadruple team whoever's ice sewing, yeah, not a good not a good combination, but uh yeah let's let's move on to their defense, I think, so the knicks are are playing a lovely old school brand of gnarly physical in your face kind of defense, but with a modern twist of having a lot of versatile wings like Hart and Grimes, who, especially Quentin Grimes, is an elite point of attack defender. He is he is he is nuts on that end. And then you also have guys like RJ Baird and Dante DiVincenzo, in terms of just, you know, good size, good length, um, not really like a mismatch you can give them unless they somehow get switched on to like the other team's big, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I like our defensive personnel, and there are only the sprinkles on the cake that our bigs have baked for us this season. Holy shit, I'm making horrible, horrible analogies in this episode. You're going to see why the cake thing is what I said later in the video. That's all I'm going to say. Later in the episode, I should say. Anyways... Mitchell Robinson, Isaiah Hartenstein, and Julius Randle, to an extent as well, have been monsters in the interior defensively. The Knicks are fifth uh, in fewest points in the paint. Uh, they were at one point the like they had the least amount of uh, points in the paint allowed. Uh, the Knicks also had like the least amount of uh, second chance points allowed. We are locking that shit up from the paint, um, and Robinson is really where that conversation has to begin uh cuz he's he took he took a, a leap this off season and is really proven to be an elite rim protector in this league before Mitchell Robinson got injured he was 5th in rebounding all right and was just just locking up. i mean in terms of that like old school defensive anchor like man Mitchell Robinson was that guy again He's down with a left ankle stress fracture that will be reevaluated in eight to ten weeks. So, unfortunately, that you know his his lovely presence won't be felt for a while. But in the meantime, there is Isaiah Hartenstein and Jericho Sims. And Jericho Sims is a two-way G League guy, and he's you know he's Jericho Sims is, unironically, probably the most athletic, vertically at least, uh, dude in the NBA. He can like when you hear someone say jump out of the gym, they're talking about Jericho Sims. The dude is like six nine, six ten with like a forty four inch revert. It's so it's it's like prime Blake Griffin type shit. So unserious to watch him jump, but what an awful performance he had at the dunk contest last season. Can we like acknowledge that? I was very I was very disappointed in that. It's because big dudes like they're not the style dunkers, dude. Like you want someone who's gonna like throw it between their legs, behind their back, whatever, like you can't expect a seven-footer to have that kind of dexterity. Anyway, so, so not the point. The point was Isaiah Hardenstein, who's an awesome backup center. I really want to add. He is an awesome backup center who is a great rim protector and can also, similarly to, Harden, uh, to Robinson, kind of finish plays at the rim. Really kind of simple stuff. But the only real drawback to Hardenstein is he still does get into foul trouble like way more than... Mitchell Robinson and him both had this problem over the past few seasons, but this season specifically, Mitch uh, has kind of grown out of that, or grew out of that, um, and was able to stay on the floor for an entire basketball game, and I think that's where our defense really started soaring. Isaiah Hardenstein still has a problem with, can he can really, really quickly in like back-to-back possessions rack up fouls, that's obviously not good if you know, the opposing team is smart enough to realize that they can just absolutely milk that. Um, but he's always playing with 110%. You know, I, I probably say sweet, thank sweet baby Jesus for Hardenstein at least like once or twice a game for the Knicks. And so, you know, his role is pretty small right now, but it's, you know, it's going to get a little bit bigger in, uh, in Robinson's absence. And I'm just, I'm very, I'm almost never disappointed with Hardenstein minutes. That's my point. Um, The last positive things I'll say about the Knicks before this takes a a slightly dark turn is uh, they're a good rebounding team, all right? We've been a great rebounding team, I should say. Uh, First in overall rebounding percentage, not overall rebounding. We, We don't catch that many because we let opponents shoot historically well. Anyway, not the point. First in overall rebounding percentage, second in offensive rebounding, and... Outside of the big men who, uh, as I said, Robinson was averaging the fifth uh, most rebounds in the league and was like even higher at points. But outside of that, Julius Randle was averaging 10 rebounds. And Josh Hart is one of the best rebounding guards in the NBA. So we have been elite at rebounding. I mean, it's not a great sign when, you know, it doesn't... (laughs) It's not a great sign that your team has a lot going for them when you're like, but our rebounding, but our rebounding is great. But you take what you can get, right? Um, Emmanuel Quickly, if you're not aware, the Knicks have this guy on their team called Emmanuel Quickly. He's the sixth man of the year. He's pretty awesome. Uh, Not actually. He was robbed last season. Fuck off Malcolm Brogdon, even though I was like, yeah, I I am not surprised he'll probably win. And even said he would, but it should have gone to Quickly. And he's been having a fantastic season. Again, 15 and a half or whatever it is points, three assists, three rebounds on 42, 43% from the field and like 36% from three and 90 from the charity stripe. So he's, I mean, he's just instant offense. He really is. He's like the spiritual reincarnation of Jamal Crawford and Lou Williams, just this saucy bucket getter who comes off the bench. That's really the best way I can describe it. And on top of that, he can also genuinely run the floor when Brunson's sitting, so it's it's not just like invaluable buckets, like he's also able to in, you know, small compartments of time be the point guard of the team. So that's really awesome. Uh the Knicks also create a lot of turnovers, you know, which, which is great, uh, and so we're we're 7th in points in offensive uh or 7th in points off of turnovers, I should say. And uh, Jalen Brunson is very good at drawing fouls. Which, again, leads to either turnovers or at least a diminishing in how easy you're giving up buckets. He was 3rd in the league last season, I believe, in fouls. And also insane at taking charges. He, Which, again, creates turnovers. Jalen Brunson leads the league in charges drawn, which... For a 6'2, 6'1 guard, he's really putting his body on the line there, but he's a fucking tank, so that's been great. And when you can cause the other team to create a lot of turnovers, that definitely uh gives you some wiggle room when your own offense is very much lacking, I should say. Um and speaking of Jalen Brunson, dude, he's been my hero. I really don't know what to say. Like, he has been that guy since we traded for him. Last offseason. Four years, $104 million contract coming from the Mavs after he had a fantastic playoff series where he just embarrassed Rudy Gobert. That was insane to watch. He was just ah, ah dicing him up like a ninja blender. It was crazy. But he had been a backup for his entire career uh, with Luka. And so a lot of people thought he couldn't be that guy, etc. He's coming to Arguably the biggest stage in basketball and the biggest market New York, Madison Square Garden, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But he's been that dude. He's taken charge. He's He has not wavered a second. He's averaging 24.5 points, 3.5 rebounds, 5.5 assists on 47% from the field, 44.6% as I said from 3, and 80% from the free throw line with the added like asterisk that he elevates even more in the playoffs he was essentially the only reason that we went to six games against the heat and you know if everyone's healthy in that series maybe it has a different turn of events anyways we're not going to harp on the path not the point um but he's just been incredible and outside of Tyrese Halliburton who has been you know he was he's sixth fifth in MVP voting he's obviously kind of on a different level but outside of him In my opinion, for my money, there has not been a better point guard in the Eastern Conference over the 24 games of this season. You know, there are maybe better players who are point guards, Damian Lillard or, you know, whatever, Trey Young, but in terms of consistency in their own performance and impact on winning, they ain't been as good as Jalen. That's what I'm going to say. Which now kind of pivots things into the negatives, which is that, Mitchell Robinson is going to be out for at least two and a half months, which means that our defense, one of the only things that the Knicks have been really hanging their hat on is likely going to slide, you know, it's likely going to slide. And as I've said, our offense has been pretty bad to like mediocre at best. And it just doesn't compare with the elites of the, t- of, of, of the league. Um, They're the best way I can describe the Knicks experience right now is there will be, and this happened, this exact thing happened earlier in the season, where it's it's like the third game in four nights, it's on the road, you're totally expecting the Knicks to be checked out, you're like already adding it to like the losses column, and then the Knicks come out and they like win confidently, and you're like, alright, fuck yeah Knicks, like get that win, like oh shit, like we're a serious team man, I knew it, stop disrespecting us, and then we go and play like a real contender and just get... Just get walked like a poodle, just get walked like a poodle at the dog park. It is so unfortunate, like what happened in our uh in our in season tournament game against the Bucks. like you just couldn't hang and and the bucks have not been particularly prolific in terms of their defense, so would have expected that maybe we, we could get stuff going uh, on that end, but our offense really just cannot hang with those elite teams and uh and a, a big part of that is the fact that we don't move the ball enough well. First off, it's the shooting and all of that. I mean, we've got the three-point. That's grown somehow. Don't know where it came from. Must have done some, you know, magical, dark magic spell. But the Knicks are 24th in free field goal percentage and 28th in free throw percentage. Not good. Um, and when you combine that with a offensive scheme that just does not move the ball, I mean, it's slow and stagnant. The Knicks are 28th in pace. Uh, 29th, sorry, the, the Knicks have the 29th slowest pace in the league. And with that too much offense or too much isolation offense, again, ball, you know, everybody on this fucking team wants to go, ah, ah, I'm going to get a clip. Ah, especially one motherfucker we're about to talk about. But the Knicks are 27th in assists, 25th in assist percentage. And when you combine that with the fact that the overall field goal percentage is 24th in the league, meaning outside of you know finishing at the rim which obviously usually has a high field goal percentage anyways when a team doesn't move the ball much plays a lot of isolation and hits a low percentage of their two pointers that aren't at the rim it's just that's not good that is not good that is a held back defense or offense i keep doing that there's just wait if you're watching if you're watching with visuals there's just too much a well, there's just too much of that going on. All right, that's all I'm going to say. And we know who the biggest perpetrator of that is. All right, it's a motherfucker named Julius Randall. Um, in my notes, I just have Randall Ball makes me want to kill myself, which might sound a little excessive, certainly, but uh, is a is a good encompassing way of describing how he can make me feel sometimes. Um, you know, everybody who knows Julius Randall knows what the deal is with him. Shot spammer, generally pretty low efficiency, especially at the start of this season, which was a historically awful stretch of shooting. He takes tough fadeaway contested jumpers all the time. I mean, he just loves them. There's bread and butter. He's a ball hog. Don't let the fact that he's averaging like five assists or something fool you. That is merely a product of his usage rate, which is in the 96th percentile of all players. He demands the ball and will refuse to hustle back on defense or engage in like huddles and timeouts if he's not getting the ball. You know, if if the game is not going his way, he will pout like a child, and can just generally be a very unfun basketball player to watch. An anti basketball player, dare I say? Um, at his best, obviously, that's not what he is. You know, the, the, a second. The main theme of this episode is bear with me. It's going to be rough. We'll get through this, and it'll get better. But the second theme is that we need more context. I'm sorry. That took a second because I was I was just trying to re... This stuff's hard, all right? Give me a fucking break. We need context. <clears throat> Julius Randle has been an all-NBA player in two out of the last three seasons. Individually, those are some of the best... Seasons for like an individual Knicks player in franchise history. You would think, oh my God, we've got like a, we've got a great, like one of the best players who's ever put on a Knicks jersey. And that's probably fucking true, unfortunately. But if you go around the streets of New York and ask people their opinions on on him, you'd think he was a collaborator in the 9-11 attacks. I mean, uh, uh. but again, point being, zoom out for a second he has been very prolific in the past few seasons, so he's not, you know, at his worst. He is all the things I mentioned, but at his best, he is in the broader context an all NBA level power forward. He's he's got those old school power forward, you know, Charles Oakley bruiser kind of vibes. He's a monster in the paint, not only as a you know ten rebounder a game kind of player but also in terms of just pushing people around to get to the rim to get to his spots um, or just not let players back him down, even bigger players. And he also just reps New York. And doesn't Julius Randle just feel like a New York Knicks player? Like, if you had to pick anybody in the league who just gives off the the like pimple energy that the Knicks do, it's definitely Julius Randle. So... He has his moments, but unfortunately, he's just too often, too frequently, the worst of his habits. And and you can, what, what can you expect over a playoff run is really the question you would ask. Can you expect 20 straight games, 15 to 20 straight games of Julius? You're not allowed to have a game where you shoot 25% from the field. It's probably going to happen. It's probably going to happen. You know, on one hand, you're going to be really thankful for the, for the game where he gets 20, you know, 30 points, 15 rebounds, and you're like, oh my god, this dude's a monster. And then and then and then you know you know what's gonna happen. So when he is so frequently This is the this is the big point. As I said, you can't really trust it over a long playoff like duration. But when a player like Julius Randle is such a big part of the offense he is second in field goal attempts on the team. Often, oftentimes, he is the most frequent shooter. Uh, as I said, 96 percentile usage rate. <clears throat> when you have someone that's that big of part of your offense, that can become such a black hole, shoots the second worst field goal percentage out of any starters and fourth worst on the team, and he doesn't move the ball. That's ultimately putting a cap on how far this team can go. It just is. A player that big a part of your offense being able to just consume possessions and can't, you can't even just like kind of hide, you know, there, it's not even like when, like I was talking about Anthony Davis, when Anthony Davis has a bad game, he's just like, where'd he go? You know, it's, it's, it's no longer where's Waldo. It's where it's where's AD. You don't even notice that he's on the floor, <clears throat> but for Julius Randall, like it or not good game, bad game you will notice that that motherfucker is on the floor because he's shooting it all the time. Um, So yeah, ultimately, I just don't know how far this team can go. Obviously, this is the thing. Obviously, Julius is a very talented player. Again, All-NBA in two of the last three seasons. But I don't see a path for him to be able to contribute to Knicks winning basketball without it being in a smaller role. I don't. He's just, he's too big a part of the offense while being too much of a player that can just maybe the lowest floor out of, out of any like all-star level player in the league. Julius Randle probably has the lowest floor. The, he can get to the, the deepest depths of his, of his bag, his, his like anti-bag. And so I just, I just don't see us going very far when he's such a prevalent part um, the, you know, and and it's not helped by the fact that our coach Tom Tom the Thumb Thibodeau. I'm sorry, Tibbs, if you're watching this, you're not, but I'm sorry. Um, it doesn't help that our 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 coach is not is not helping this. All right, he frequently puts out bad rotations and lineups. He'll sub out players when they're getting hot, or put players back in, in substitution for the player that was getting hot i.e. a Julius Randle it's like he's just ah I'm like it's like he's contractually obligated to play Julius Randle I mean to to a literal sense there is credence to that um we we saw it in Golden State when Steve Kerr was like or when everybody was asking Steve Kerr why'd you take out Moses Moody he was he was fucking hooping that game and he was like Clay Thompson's gotta play man I don't care that he's literally a fucking garbage man in a in an nba uniform right now legally he has to like play um so i don't know if there's some like credence to that but he puts out bad rotations and will cuck a lot of the other players from you know from their hot streaks when they're getting going and and will sub them out to put in his like starters again even if they were playing horribly like julius often uh can be and and he just on a one-to-one like coach to player level He doesn't hold Julius Randle accountable for his awful shooting nights and go, yo, like, buddy, you made four shots on the night. You didn't need to get to 30 shots to go, oh, maybe it's not my night. Like you, that, and that's the problem. He so often doesn't even realize that, or it's not even that Julius Randle doesn't even realize he's having a bad game, but he doesn't have the grace to just go, all right, maybe it's not my night. So many players in the league. Have the grace to do that. They're like, all right, clearly not my night. I should uh I should pass the ball and, and not be such a black hole on offense. But but Julius Randle will just drag the rest of the team down with him because again, needs the ball in his hands, needs to put up shots. And uh and so the Knicks are just not being helped by the fact that they their coach is is not holding Mr. Jay Sniper uh very accountable. And he, as I said with the Grimes thing, he punishes players that don't perform in very small sample sizes and will reward his players who have a history, sure, but are very clearly in the moment not helping. And he he's very much an old dog. You cannot teach new tricks. This is Tibbs we're talking about. Um, and he's set in his ways and he likes his starters. His starters are, his re- are, are the starters for a reason. And he, he really sees it, like, outside of maybe, like, quickly. Like, if you're on the bench, bro, like, Tibbs, or if you're coming off the bench, rather, like, Tibbs wants you to be aware of the fact that you are coming off of the bench. Don't get, uh, don't get a big head, young man, kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I just, I don't know. Ultimately, again, we need some context. The Knicks won their first playoff series in a decade last season, and they made it to the playoffs for the first time after an eight-year drought two seasons ago. So we're pretty fucking fresh to this whole playoff thing. But we are still very obviously a clear tier below the elite teams in not just the NBA, but specifically the Eastern Conference. The Bucks, the Celtics, and the 76ers. They are clearly on a tier above the New York Knicks. That second tier I would put the Knicks on with the uh the heat and the calves, even though we walked them and I would be I'm pretty confident we would beat the calves pretty dominantly again right now, but regardless, they are absolutely still on that tier. You know, you you know the point I'm making. Uh, and then, like, the Pacers. That's, like, that second tier. And, like, the Magic, because, like, the Magic are the second seed right now. We'll talk about that at some point, because they've been really awesome. And I love Paolo and Franz, so definitely want to talk about the Magic at, at, in some episode. But they're they're probably on that second tier as well. But there's just something missing, man. There's something missing, and it's, it's that offensive star power. The Knicks don't have it. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think Jalen Brunson is a star, but when it's him and fucking Scrooge McDuck who likes to take 30 shots and sometimes will hit 45% of them, sometimes will hit 32% of them. You're just capping how 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 far your team can go. So yeah. That's my next pow session. I I hope I hope like the last part of that where it really started to get away from me kind of makes some sense, but yeah, those are my topics for the first episode and now I have something that I'm going to try out for the first time. This is going to be like the last segment of like, I don't want to say every episode, but like if I I like, I like a Tuesday, Friday kind of upload. Um, if I am able to get back to that point, I was, if you noticed with uploading videos, but if I get to the point where these episodes are also coming out on a Tuesday and Friday, this is something that would more so be on like that Friday, you know, we're going into the weekend after a full week of like NBA basketball type thing. Um, This is where I would insert this segment. And it's just sort of my non-hoops related stuff. So if you want to click off now, thank you so much for watching. I really appreciate it. Uh, You know, thank you for enduring me rambling and uh, just waffling for like the past hour. Um, And I I hope to see you in the next one. And if you're going to stay, um, I want to quickly talk about the games that happened last night. Today is Wednesday, uh, December 13th. So we're talking about Tuesday's games. Um, and then also whatever games are on tonight, and then just like two random things that happened in the world, Uh, one sport-related, one not, and uh, so yeah, so for the games, last night we had a a decent slate, there was Lakers-Mavs, that was a pretty fun game, Uh, I didn't watch like the second half uh, as much because the Mavs were like pretty confidently walking the Lakers, but the Lakers brought it back actually, and then it ended up it ended up being a Mavs win anyway. Uh I watched some of the Celtics Cavs game. Ah, dude, I gotta say, the Celtics are so good, bro. They're so good. It's like the Celtics behind the Knicks were probably my most watched team last season. And it like totally makes sense again. Like, I had almost forgotten why that was. Because I haven't watched much Celtics this season because it's like they're so good. You only need to watch a game or two of them to be like, all right, I get the point. They're dominant on both ends of the floor. They have Kristaps Porzingis, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown, Derek White, and Drew Holiday in a starting five. That's not just on their roster. As a starting five, who the hell let the Celtics sign Drew Holiday? That's my biggest takeaway. But I watched a bit of their game against the Cavs, and I was like, oh, my God. I realize, I remember now why I watched so much Celtics basketball last season. They're next level, dude. They really are. Didn't watch the Nuggets Bulls, but Jokic got ejected for like the third time this season or something like that. Off of absolute bullshit, man. I gotta say, refing is so not an easy job, especially in the NBA when things happen so quick and you might not see something happen if I'm like keeping my back to to, to the ref in the rim or whatever. But they there's so there's a separate conversation for like, oh ref, you missed this call. But in terms of refs just not being able to understand and empathize with a player who is just reacting to and being frustrated and then penalizing them for acting like that. I mean, they're a professional fucking basketball player. What do you want them to do? Not care? If they didn't care, they wouldn't be a professional fucking basketball player. Like, it's so stupid. There's there's a very clear disconnect between the refs and the players right now um between that i think that the refs need to chill the actual shit out um and last night it was serbian heritage month or or night in in chicago a lot of people came out to see nikola jokic play he's only in chicago one time this season and guess what chicago ain't going to the fucking finals so this is the only time nikola jokic will be playing in chicago and he's get and he gets kicked out 16 minutes into the game because the ref had a fucking you know had a bad bad day before the game started there There's just been way too much like personal uh like, ah, the ref didn't like this thing, like short of saying genuinely like a slur or something like hostile towards the refs, ref, like use your head, bro. you understand that they're just frustrated, bro, let them like say it, and like what is it like they're they're clearly like not really saying it like to you, obviously, like most of these things will happen because the player does end up saying something specifically to the ref. But man, it's just been so frustrating to watch refs hijack games and kick out star players all throughout uh, through this season so far. Uh, and then the only other game I watched was the Suns Warriors. Um, and man, the Warriors just. Draymond got ejected. That was hilarious. If you haven't seen Draymond get ejected last night, please go look up that clip. It is insane. He just. I mean, full elbows out. It was wild. Um, In terms of games tonight, the Knicks play the Jazz, which is at Utah. Um, I feel pretty confident in our ability to win considering we beat the Raptors um, two nights ago. And that was like coming off of the news of Robinson not being around. So yeah, Um, Sixers are playing Pistons. Pistons, will they they ever win a game again? We're definitely going to talk about the Pistons in the next episode. And um, a Lakers Spurs, Bron Wemby. That's going to be super fun to watch. But other than that, nothing I really care about. Um, The unrelated basketball thing, unrelated to sports in general was um, I'm currently watching one piece. If you don't know one piece, it's an anime. It's got over a thousand episodes, yada, yada, yada. I just wrapped up whole cake Island and I was told to kind of prepare that it was not a great uh, arc and I was going to kind of have to drag my feet through it. And coming off of Dress Rosa, which is really, really long. Outside of Wano is the longest arc in One Piece. I was kind of like, oof, this could be rough. I really enjoyed Whole Cake Island. I really enjoyed Whole Cake Island. Um, some of the... I I mean, Big Mom, not the greatest antagonist the show has had so far. But the members of the Big Mom family. I mean, Katakuri, super sick. His fight, um, won't say with who or whatever, in case people haven't seen, but one of my favorite fights in the show. Uh Oven, that bastard, he's pretty cool. And Gang Beggie. I hated Gang Beggie when he showed up for the first time in Saba Odie. Gang Beggie's one of my favorite pirates now. Dude, him and his whole I I love it. I love it. Um anyway, on to Reverie. Um, and the last thing is I'm I'm just gonna like cut this in case. I probably should have just cut it like before I did my non- like hoops related ramble toward at the end. But anyway, whatever. Point being. Last thing I want to talk about. We've probably all seen it. There's like no way you haven't. Shohei Otani. He's a Japanese baseball player. He played for the or plays played for the uh Los Angeles Angels. He is like he's a generational talent. He's like a he's a he's a pitcher, but he's also like a really elite, like hitter, I think. I don't know. I don't watch baseball. Not the point. But he is like Yo, this dude might be the GOAT when it's all said and done. That's how it's, like, gearing up, and that's, like, that's cool. Even if you're not a fan, like, to see that is, like, really cool. Um, he signed a he, – he's been looking to move, a, a, I guess, again, not in baseball scenes, but he's been looking to move all over the – like, all over this, like, summer. I've seen stuff about, like, oh, where's Shohei Itani going to go? You know, the Toronto Blue Jays and whatnot, whatnot. Well, he's going to kind of the – you know the, the I don't know I don't even know if it's like rivals, um, but he's going to the Dodgers, which are also in LA. That, so that's like if LeBron went to the Clippers, um, but he's going to the Dodgers on a ten year seven hundred million dollar contract. No, the audio didn't cut out. I was just kind of letting that simmer for a second. Seven hundred million fucking dollars? Are you serious? Um, not even the craziest part, by the way. The craziest part is that six hundred and eighty million is being deferred till after the contract. Really, not sure how the Dodgers got Shohei to agree with that. Apparently, bro just wants to win. Like he just really wants. To. I don't know if the Angels are like a really bad team; they never make it to like the playoffs or something. But apparently, Shohei just wants to be able to play playoff baseball. So you know, I, I respect. So he's kind of willing to do whatever, but. His salary is only going to be $2 million a year over that 10-year duration. And the reason is so that the Dodgers still have money to fill out their roster. It's a very KD to the Warriors building a super team, but this is to like a next level because it's like we signed the best player on the planet by giving him a ludicrous contract that we won't even have to pay him until this era is over. So we can still build a ridiculous team around him while he's only getting two million. I mean, that that's got to be like borderline like starter salary in the I MLB. Mean, I actually don't know what the starter salary in the MLB. All right, it's a little bit more than starting salary, seven hundred thousand. But I mean, he's earning as much as like a, a role player would essentially. So my biggest questions are is any of this fucking illegal? Does't seem so gonna be honest it's a it's a real Wolf of Wall Street moment gonna be honest um, and also do the Dodgers have any intention of paying Shohei when the 10 years is up? Do they do will they are they gonna be ready to fork over 680 million dollars also will that be in a lump sum? I would love to be around Shohei Otani in a, in 10 years when that happens but uh, are they just gonna like, are they just going to maximize the next 10 years and then like file for bankruptcy at the end of it and be like, sorry, showy, couldn't pay you. You know, all the money's gone. I I don't know what to tell you. It's like when you walk into a bank and they're like, yeah, we actually don't have enough money to pull out uh, for you. And you're like, what the fuck do you mean? This is my money. And they're like, yeah, that's not how it works. So I don't, I don't, I do not know what the Dodgers are doing. They're on some advanced sports GM alchemy matrix shit, but I when I saw the the headline a couple of days ago that he was signing for 700 million, I gasped. And then when I saw that 680 million was going to be deferred for a decade, I just I, I lost my marbles. I have no idea what's going on there. Someone's got to investigate that. Sorry, sorry. I'm usually a cool kid who doesn't really give a shit about breaking rules. Do whatever you want, but yo, MLB, y'all got to look into what's going on at the LA Dodgers uh, facility because think they're doing some dark magic back there uh anyway that's going to be all for this show um major thing again is that this whole thing is a work in progress bear with me it's only going to get better as time goes on um and yeah I i hope you'll stick around for this journey as the scene gets better hoops hour to the moon man so Thank you guys for watching. I appreciate it. Uh, leave leave a like, leave a comment. You know, ask whatever you want. I would I would really appreciate all that kind of interaction, especially if you made it to this point. I know it's you know, this is a very long episode. Um, I didn't even plan or expect it to be this long, but regardless. Um, so yeah, thank you, and uh, only up from here.